Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. We always say it, we always mean it, and we know it's true. So let's see what the buzz is. Well, we have a very long quote, so just bear with me, from a novel called Silently and Very Fast by Catherine M. Valente. You can look her up, V-A-L-E-N-T-E. She's an American fiction writer, poet, and literary critic. She writes speculative fiction novels and has won all kinds of awards. So here we go with this quote. Now, bear with me. There's a point in this, so just hang on. She says to whoever is in the book is saying to someone, long before you were born, a man decided there could be a very simple test to determine if a machine was intelligent, not only intelligent, but aware, possessed of a psychology. The test had only one question. Here's the question. Can a machine converse with a human with enough facility that the human could not tell that she was talking to a machine? I always thought this was cruel. The test depends entirely upon a human judge and human feelings, whether the machine feels intelligent to the observer. It privileges the observer, the human, to a crippling degree. It seeks only believably human responses. It wants perfect mimicry, not a new thing. It's a mirror in which men wish only to see themselves. Okay, that was the whole quote from her book, Silently and Very Fast. So a couple of key terms in there, machines, humans, um, talking, conversing. So our topic today, our very exciting topic is conversational AI. Are you talking to me? Now let me do a little level setting here. Four billion people around the world are using text messaging apps. What does that mean for your company, your brand? Come on, I'm talking to you, our listeners, all over the world. You have, if you haven't seized it already, a tremendous opportunity to expand your reach. Be with them, in front of them. Talk to them where they are. We're talking about Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Telegram, WeChat, and more. But wait a minute. The era of conversational AI has arrived. Has anybody tried to book a flight on Alaska Air and met the AI-enabled virtual assistant, Jen? She can answer your questions, and she sounds just like a real person. So today, our panel will explore how businesses like yours can leverage, can use, can harness the power of conversational AI. Is this new technology going to rescue those of us, every one of us as a consumer, from really, really bad customer service experiences? Come on, you have your own. And where are we heading with all of this? So welcome to the Internet of Things with Game Changers. By the way, this is still one of our most popular series of all our Game Changers series. And we're delighted they've added a few episodes this year. So shout out to Ira Burke and his team who sponsored this series. Now, let me tell you who's on the show today. We have a powerhouse here. We are first up going to be speaking with Samir Patel. He is product owner of the Leonardo Conversational AI Foundation at SAP and a member of the Silicon Valley Next Talent Rotational Program. He will tell us all about those in a few minutes. And we also have welcoming back Piyush Chandra. And Piyush has been on the show before. He is a senior 
Director for Product Management at the Innovation Center Network at SAP. So let's get started and let's see what the opening quotes are. Samir has sent us a quote from Tim Tebow. Sports fans, Timothy Richard Tebow, born in 1987, former professional American football quarterback. Uh, despite his success, he played for the Denver Broncos. He played for the New York Jets. He played for the New England Patriots, the Philadelphia Eagles. Despite his success, he did not start again in the NFL after he left the Broncos. No other quarterback under 30 in NFL history has won a playoff game and then never started another NFL game. I don't know if that's his claim to fame. Here is the quote. Here is the the crux of the quote that Samir wants to share with us from Tim Tebow. I promise you one thing. A lot of good will come out of this. Samir Patel, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you? Great, Bonnie. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for asking. I love the quote. This was plucked from a very longer quote from Tim Tebow, but I didn't want to read another long quote because I already did that at the start. So, Samir, tell us, what is he promising and how does this relate to our topic? We're talking about bots that talk to us like humans. Go ahead. Absolutely. So, this was actually in 2008. So, uh, Tim, of course, was the quarterback at Florida, and they had set out that season in 2008. Uh, you know, to have an undefeated season, and then they suffered a surprise loss to Ole Miss. And so after after the game, there was a there was a post conference or, or post game uh, post game news conference. And Tim, uh, you know, he paused a bit and he was like, "I'm really sorry to our fans. You know, we know you let you down, but we promise you a lot of good will come out of this. We're going to fight every game of the season. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to push my team really hard." And you'll never see anybody play harder than we will the rest of the season. And I think this actually relates to conversational AI at a very philosophical, fundamental level. You know, the problems that we try to tackle in conversational AI are very frontier, very cutting edge, and oftentimes it's uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. So really, it's a truly team effort, and we have to be supportive. We have to know how to work together, how to triage problems, how to think outside of the box together. So it's very much team approach this problem. One person can't solve this. It requires an entire effort and everybody sort of has to be committed to that. So I think just from a team mentality, when you approach problems like this, I think that's how this relates to this quote. Thank you very much, Samir. Very interesting to me. Um, your thoughts just quickly on what I read from Ms. Valenti's novel about can a machine converse with a human enough that you can't tell you're talking to a machine? Is that the goal, that we're going to be holding up that mirror and the machine will sound just like us, just like us? What's your thought on that? Is she right? You know, that, you know, it's a really interesting quote. So I actually had a professor at Stanford University, Professor Larry Leifer, and, you know, we were talking with him about a project involving a family robot. And he actually had a good point. He was like, you know, at some level, you might try to make this robot really human-like. But at some point, it also helps to have a little bit of the machine side showing too. So it shows you that it's not necessarily a human per se. It is still a, it is still a robot at the end of the day. But it still has the ability to understand and feel you and understand your emotions and what you're trying to say and your just context in general. So really, I think the goal here is not to have it be 100% like a human, but certainly be able to be responsive to a human's emotions, requests, thoughts, and feelings. So I think it goes in that direction. I don't know if it's 100% that we want to get to a point where robots are humans, something like that movie, I Am Robot, um, or with Will Smith. So I, I think it's a very interesting quote. <laughs> 
Thank you very much. That's why I picked it for the buzz because it's so darn provocative. I did found that Ms. Valente, yeah, she has a Twitter handle, so I'm going to mention the quote here on Twitter. And by the way, anybody wants to join us, we're at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. That's what we use. And that's where you can find the tweets about my very interesting panelists. Thank you, Samir. Pleasure to meet you. And thank you for your thoughtful quote you picked from Tim Tebow. And now let's turn slightly around the table to Piyush Chandra at SAP. And Piyush has sent us a quote from Albert Hubbard. Very interesting quote. Hubbard lived from 1856 to 1915, an American writer, publisher, artist, and philosopher. And his publications included the 14, oh, he was prolific, 14-volume work, Little Journeys to the Homes of the Great, and a short publication called A Message to Garcia. What's interesting about him that he would not like us to mention in, in absentia here, in memoriam, is that he and his second wife died aboard the RMS Lusitania when it was sunk by a German submarine on May 7, 1915, off the coast of Ireland. So, wow, that's a little bit of history there. Here is the quote Piyush has selected from Mr. Hubbard. One machine can do the work of 50 ordinary men. No machine can do the work of one extraordinary man. Piyush, welcome back to Game Changers. How have you been? I've been doing pretty well, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine, and thank you as well for asking. So I love the quote. Are we talking, we're going to relate this now to our topic of conversational AI, machines and men and women and extraordinary versus ordinary. Give me a clue. How, how are we going to work this into our conversation today, Piyush? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this quote. You know, I, I, as part of my work, I focus on emerging and disruptive technologies the ones people are not really comfortable with yet. And I get asked this question so many times, is this technology going to make my job redundant? Basically, they are trying to understand if machines are going to take over. And this quote highlights the fact that it is simply not true. If you look back at human evolution, all technology has done at every single step is to allow us to evolve to a higher standard. Take, for example, fire, wheel, and stone weapons. These are all technologies, and all these technologies have helped us evolve. Can we imagine human progress without these technologies? I don't think so. And the same is true for current technologies, including conversational AI. Yes, I understand that change does bring discomfort, but it is only through this change that we are going to go and evolve to the next level but I think the ball is in our court, and as long as we, uh, as long as we keep upskilling ourselves, there is no technology and there is no machine that can replace what we do. Very well put. Very, very well put. Yes. What do you think Mr. Hubbard, the late and prolific writer Mr. Hubbard, would say if he knew you were quoting him on a radio show that is not on a real radio station? We're on a, a new type of radio station over the Internet. What is the Internet? What is a computer? What is Wi-Fi? That people are listening to us all over the world. They don't have to be within 25 miles of a radio tower. Somewhere. What do you think he would say about extraordinary humans coming up with this invention, Piyush? Uh, <laughs> I think that's a great <laughs> question. I think, I, I, I think his first reaction would be, man, where is your prose? What happened to you guys? Where is the generation going? That's great. What would he what say? Using? 
What would he say about this this thing called internet radio? Would he be absolutely thrilled or would he be shocked or would he say, damn, why didn't you have that when the Lusitania Lusitania was sinking and we could have figured out a way to use our cell phones to get some rescue boats here? You think he would have said that? That is very likely, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think that would be definitely one of his thoughts. But yes, he would, uh, if he looked at internet radio and uh, me typing at my laptop and uh, not on a typewriter, definitely there would be thoughts around, uh, hey, if I had this technology, maybe my quote would be known by more people. There you go. There you go. So, okay, thank you very much, Piyush, and welcome back. And now we're going to do a little up close and personal with my two panelists. And we only needed two because they're so smart. No comment on that one. Uh, Samir Patel, we'd love to know what part of the world you're calling us from today. And what are you drinking now? If it's interesting and fun, if not, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? Samir? Absolutely. So I am calling you from the... Very cold and a little bit smoky, uh, Palo Alto, California. Oh, yeah. And I am currently drinking a chocolate milk. Okay, you can't dangle that one in front of me without explaining what kind of chocolate, what kind of milk. Is it cold? Is it room temperature? Is it hot? Did you use syrup? Did you make your own potion for the chocolate? Come on, I need a recipe, Samir. No, I'm uh, I'm a little bit lame this morning. It's actually uh, just your plain vanilla, good old chocolate milk in a carton. Uh, oh. The reason I drink this is uh, it's actually an interesting story. So I had a buddy uh, back in grad school who used to play collegiate soccer, and I asked him, I was like, what do you guys drink after your workouts, you know, to recover? Because you guys obviously work out so hard. And he was like, you know, we actually drink chocolate milk. And so after my workouts, I started drinking chocolate milk, too. And it's actually, it's a great excuse to have chocolate milk. You know, it's got a great amount of vitamins, minerals, proteins, fats, carbs. Just really refreshes you after a workout. So, you know, it's a great excuse to just have one of your favorite beverages. I like that. So the health health and fitness benefits of chocolate milk, does that mean I can go back to my, my two or three glasses of chocolate milk a day, Absolutely. Samir? I 100% you, recommend that. Oh, Dr. Samir Patel, I appreciate that. Well, I don't buy chocolate syrup because I would just not, it would not last in my house. I've tried it in, mm-hmm. in New York. We had a special brand. I just moved to North Carolina, but in New York, we had a special brand and it was called You Bet. U, the letter U dash B E T. And it used to come in a big glass jar. You were at great risk. And I used to work for a local newspaper on Long Island. I was an assistant editor for just about a year. And I happened to interview one of our local mayors. We had nine villages in very close proximity to each other, like you'd walk one block into another village and there was another mayor. And I met a mayor named David Fox. And I sat down with him to interview him. He'd just been elected. And I said, Tell me about who you are and your family. Well, his family was Fox from the Foxes. You bet syrup company. And he liked my interview so much that he sent me a case, a case, a half a dozen jars, huge jars of Fox's You Bet syrup. It was one of the <laughs> one of the most exciting days wow. of my life. <laughs> I lead a shelter. Anyway, I just wanted to share that. So very, very interesting. Um, thank you, Samir. I will go have chocolate milk after after this. I, I make my own with cocoa, a little cocoa powder, a little bit of sugar, and uh, a little bit of water. I make a paste, and then I add the milk, and it's just as good. So there you go. And now, Piyush Chandra, we'd love to know where you are today, and what do you love to drink? Don't tell me chocolate milk, too. It has to be different. <laughs> well, I don't want uh, to tell what I'm drinking right now because it's even more lame than what uh, Samir is drinking. <laughs> but 
I'll let you know what I'm going to drink uh, later tonight. So I'm really looking forward to having my IPA beer later tonight. And, ah. you know, there is actually a pretty, I think it's an, it's an interesting story <laughs> behind this thing. So I am originally from India, and back in India, we don't have IPAs. The only kind of beers you can get is uh, lagers and pilsners. So that was my beer universe, lagers and pilsners. So when I came to the U.S. Uh, and I was told by the local people here that, hey, man, you need to try IPAs. This is the best beer ever. And I gave it a try, honestly. And <laughs> I was like, why do you guys torture yourself drinking something that is so bitter? Uh-huh. But they told me, hey, just hang on tight. Just give it a try for a while. You know, it takes a little while to develop taste for IPAs. But once you have it, there's a whole new universe of beers waiting for you. And I am so glad that I listened to these guys and Aww. I kept trying it and kept trying. And now I just love IPAs. There is no way I can go back to lagers and pilsners. IPA opens up this whole new world of beers for you. It's totally uh, all different kind of alterations that you can uh, do to beer making all exist in IPA world. And this actually is pretty close to my heart as well because this is what I tell people that in my job that hey just keep an open mind things will work out <laughs> and even in my beer life things worked out so I, I'm, I'm really glad and looking forward to my chill bottle of IPA at the end of the day. I have never heard anybody say in my beer life that's a new one for <laughs> me Peter. <laughs> I uh, I think Samir could say yes in my chocolate milk life. That would be very interesting. Well, gentlemen, uh, Piyush knows me a little bit, and Samir, I'm, you're new to me, but um, <laughs> I'm not allowed to go near caffeine on radio show days. Most of our guests have some kind of a coffee at this time of the day, but they don't let me anywhere near caffeine, so all I have is a cool, clear glass of water from my Brita filter, and I have a pink straw because here in North Carolina, we had a heck of a storm last night. I mean, thunder and lightning and sheets of rain. You couldn't see out the windows. And then somebody told me, if you don't like the weather in North Carolina, wait 15 minutes and it will change. It took about 45 minutes, but it did change. It moved over and friends of mine 20 minutes away told me they got the lightning and thunder. So the clouds passed very quickly. So my pink straw is in honor of, would you please bring back the sunshine already? That's all I'm going to say. You're listening to real people talking about conversational AI. What is your expectation as a business, as a marketer, as a salesperson? What do you want? As a consumer, what do you want the chatbot to say to you? Do you want it to sound just like you? Do you want it to sound like a better version of you? How can brands around the world leverage this new way of messaging opportunities, the new way people are communicating with each other, and how machines are talking to us? My two very special guests, very smart guys, Samir Patel and Piyush Chandra, both at SAP. They are innovative. They are creative. They are full of energy, and we are going to take a very quick break so so they can refresh whatever they're drinking. Not the beer yet, Piyush. I have to wait for that. And we will be right back in 90 seconds. By the way, if anybody is interested, um, NLP, Natural Language Processing, teaching a conversational AI is also called National Natural Language Processing or NLP. It's the branch of artificial intelligence that focuses on enabling computers to understand human language. And interest in it began in 1950 when Alan Turing, look him up, T-U-R-I-N-G, published a paper entitled Computing Machinery and Intelligence. We'll just leave that one alone. So we're going to 
Go to our break. I'm going to say to my uh, my audience, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. And if you're chatbot, I hope you understand that. And I'm going to say to Aaron, our engineer, Aaron, out. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Here we go. We're back and we're talking. Yes, we're talking. We're talking about talking. There's a little convoluted thought for you. Conversational AI. Are you talking to me? Conversational AI is a branch of natural language processing, an offshoot of AI. And we're going to find out a lot more from our two very smart panelists. First up on the roundtable, I'm going to read some statements from our guest, Samir Patel, and then he's going to tell us more. So Samir made this very very interesting statement to me before the show. He said, conversational applications are expanding from the consumer world to the enterprise world. Let me read a little bit more, Samir. They're transitioning to the workplace. For example, in our everyday lives, we encounter conversational applications from asking Alexa to play Spotify to requesting driving directions from Siri. I think you just roadmap the chatbots there. That's a new cast for a movie. Samir Patel, please tell us more. Absolutely. I'd love to. So if you think about it, um, and to those listening on the radio, you know, when you go home, some of you might have an Amazon Alexa, and you might say, Alexa, turn on the lights, or Alexa, Mm -hmm. look up this recipe for pasta. You know, when you go home, you have this convenience of you can just say whatever it is you're looking for. You don't have to actually change your motions. You don't have to occupy your hands, your train of thought. 
and Alexa will just start telling you the instructions or recipes and carrying out your requests. Now, at home, we typically have, <clears throat> at least me, I'm a single bachelor, of course. Um, I have a pretty leisurely life, but you know, in the workplace, you might have a lot of responsibilities, a lot of different things going on. So that's where this multitasking, having the ability to have your request carried out immediately is incredibly helpful. So in the workplace, if you can imagine, you know, you show up to work at your desk one day, let's say you want to go get coffee, but you also have to check your calendar, you also have to see who emailed you, right? Imagine Mm -hmm. if you could simply go over to the coffee machine and as you're walking there, you're just talking out loud to some sort of virtual assistant, hey, what's on my calendar today? And then it reads you your calendar and then if it notices you might have two meetings that are very close to each other, it asks, mm-hmm. shall I actually move one meeting 15 minutes more so you can have a little bit of a break between, right? So it, it's very interesting that the same type of convenience we, want, we see in our consumer lives now, that's the same kind of convenience that actually might be incredibly meaningful in the enterprise world, especially, uh, you know, we have calendars, we have emails, we have all these different things that sort of dictate our, our lives at the workplace. And conversational AI has the ability to really change the way we just interact and operate in a typical workplace setting. It really is incredibly exciting. Let me ask you a question before I bring in Piyush here. Is it convenience? Is it lazy? Is it, uh, I don't want to do that, so enable something else to do it for me? Well, what's your, your quick thought on the human side of that, Samir? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Bonnie. I would actually say, I wouldn't say it's a question of laziness, but one of just simple efficiency. I think with, as Piyush noted, you know, throughout humanity's history, every type of innovation we've had has been something that's helped with efficiency. You know, fire, for example, efficiency of heating, per se. And so, you know, as, as we think about the workplace, we're always trying to become more efficient, right? That's why all these different software applications, you know, from Microsoft Excel to, you know, Google Chrome even and being able to search on Google, it's all about efficiency at the end of the day. And so I wouldn't say it's a question of laziness per se, but just one of just getting towards this more efficient way so you can have time allocated to more value-add activities. Thank you. I like the way you put that. And now let's get Piyush on this conversation. Piyush, any part of what Samir said and what I added? Talk to me. Um, yes. Yeah, so, um, I, I think for us human beings, communicating with other human beings is is an integral part of who we are, and it is something that comes very naturally to us. But if you look at how we interact with machines, whether it's our car or coffee maker or uh, our smart lock or computers, smartphones. This is not a natural way of interacting with things. We have to learn how to operate a keyboard, where the keys are, how to click on the mouse, and how to move on a graphical user interface. These are not natural things for us. We have to learn how to do all this. And I think the whole point of conversational AI is that why should we, when we communicate with other human beings in a very natural way, why can't we communicate with everything around us in the same natural way? And that, that's mm-hmm. the problem uh, the conversational AI is trying to solve, that teaching these machines and different uh, gadgets all around us how human beings talk and how to talk back to them. And yes, convenience is, is definitely one of the uh, problems or one of the reasons why we are trying to do this. But I think the, at the heart of the, prob- uh, the problem that we are solving is being 
or providing human beings a method of communication that is natural for them. So we want to take away this burden that is on human beings that, hey, you need to go and figure out how to interact with this phone or this machine. We want to take it away from human beings. And we want to put this burden on the machine itself so that life becomes simpler and absolutely natural for human beings. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Samir, anything you want to comment back to Piyush? No, I think he summed it up great. Okay, well, that's a nice thought, and now let's move on a little bit here. Piyush, I'm looking at your notes. Very interesting. Let's focus on NLP and how far it's come or not since it was started or the thought process of it was started, as I mentioned in a paper from Alan Turing in 1950. Uh, to me, 1950 is not, not that old, but <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it, that's 50 plus 17, 67 years ago. I know that's way before either one of you was even a gleam in somebody's eye. Let me read this comment from your your notes here Piyush and then you can you can tell us more you say NLP has seen hot and cold phases multiple times in the past but the current hot phase is different but multiple things had to happen for us to achieve today's success in natural language processing aka conversational AI hot and cold how many how how has the cycle been running who's been controlling it or influencing it give us a little look back please Piyush yeah, so as is the case with, I, I think, almost every major technology, even NLP was uh, devised uh, or, or being researched upon uh, to, uh, uh, to do some intelligence work. And um, I, I think it got a lot of traction when, uh, uh, but in, in order to uh, do machine translation, the whole point was that can we capture uh, um, conversations that are flying around in different languages and use machines or, or use NLP to understand what these conversations are and then translate those to English. And that was the first hot phase because we did achieve some success back then, but then it was all rule-based and we very uh, soon figured out that this is not working. And since then, NLP, the whole branch, has gone through at least five or six um, uh, uh, peaks and troughs where there was a lot of euphoria, a new uh, a breakthrough was made, and people are like, okay, now we have figured it out. This is going to work now. And then after a few months or maybe a couple of years, there was no progress, and then there were uh, prolonged cold phases. And these are really, really long cold phases. And by a cold phase, I mean that there was no more research happening in this field and there was no money uh, uh, being given to this thing. And there were no breakthroughs made. And this lasted for a for few years at a time. But finally, now this hot phase that, that's been going around for at least a few years, uh, three to four years now, this is different. The reason uh, we are in a, a different position today is because, first of all, we are not writing rules to teach computers how people speak and what their languages are. So this is, this is a different approach. The approach we have taken is we have, uh, with, the, with the introduction of artificial neural networks, which actually mimic the way our brains work and learn, we have been able to use the same learning process for computers. So the way a child's brain is learning a language is the same way a computer is now learning languages. Mm -hmm. So... Just the way human beings learn, 
computers are learning languages. And secondly, to learn language, just the way we did do with kids, we have to do a lot of repetitions. We have to keep telling them that this means what? This means uh, a phone means phone and milk means milk. And this is the same training data. We have a lot of training data now, and we can all feed this to uh, these artificial neural networks I was talking about to help computers understand over repetitions that this is what these things mean and this is how people talk. And the third thing that we have now is a lot of computing power. Back in the day, 50 years, 60 years ago, we didn't have a lot of computing power. A smartphone today has more computing power than all the smart computers from 20 years ago. So all these different things combined have put us in this place where we don't have to figure out a way how to teach computers to learn languages. We are following the exact same way the way we learn languages is the exact way computers are learning languages. And we have the computing power and the data to help them understand how it works. So this time, it's different, and this time, we are going to get it right. Thank you very much. Uh, Samir, before I ask you for your comments on these phases, the hot and cold in and out with NLP, I just want to read a little definition here. Gentlemen, if it's okay with you, I was curious as to the real meaning of natural language. We've been using it in terms of NLP. We've been banding it about, but I'd like everybody to know what it really is. So according to my, my favorite lookup on Fast Look Up here is Wikipedia, in neuropsychology, in linguistics and the philosophy of language, a natural language or ordinary language is any language that has evolved naturally in humans through use and repetition without conscious planning or premeditation. Natural languages can take different forms, such as speech or singing. They are distinguished from constructed and formal languages, such as those used to program computers or to study logic. Very, very interesting. Okay, and I'm wondering how that applies to animals, too, because I watched my family teaching our, our my grandpuppy, Amos, how to sit and how to give us a paw, how to shake a hand, how to stay, how to come, how to get into the car, and I'm listening to how language from the human to the animal is conveying actions. So we won't go into that. That's a whole other show. But, Samir, sorry for the sidebar. Samir, talk to me about what Piyush uh, suggested or or commented on in terms of these historical peaks and valleys of interest in NLP. What do you think? Absolutely. So I would actually challenge that a little bit. I wouldn't say we actually had valleys per se. I think if you look at it, and I'd be be very curious to look at a timeline of this, of how computing power and advances in semiconductor technology and just mathematics and, uh, and applied computer science, how those have actually how those have actually, you know, the pace of advancement in those fields has actually mirrored those in things like computer vision, conversational AI, because really when you think about it, you know, what's enabled conversational AI? And I think Piyush touched on this, but, you know, the fact that we can store so much data now about human conversations and text, so the ability to store this data through memory has been massive. And then as far as computing power goes, you know, we initially start out with single-core to then multi-core, and now to GPUs. You know, what NVIDIA is doing is absolutely incredible now in the GPU segment of the market. And so really, it's been a confluence of, you know, to what extent did we actually have the tools and the firepower to actually explore these new topics? And then once we explored them, then we found even more interesting problems. So I wouldn't say we actually had valleys, per se. I think it was more or less, you know, as, as you know, with Moore's Law, just 
over time, as these technologies become more capable, more powerful, they enable us to really move more exponentially into these new areas. And who knows, 50 years from now, it might be computers teaching computers new languages. Um, it, it's very interesting. I think it really goes along with the pace of technology. I wouldn't say it's necessarily cyclical. Wouldn't that be interesting, computers teaching computers new languages? Aha, as a former COBOL and PL1 programmer, I'd like to see that syntax. Okay, very, very interesting. <laughs> Piyush, way before you were born, both of you, let's not go there again. Uh, Piyush, any comments back on on uh, what Samir added to the conversation? Uh, yes, I, I think... Uh we need to make this uh, distinction, and it might be a subtle distinction, uh, but the distinction is there. So, yes, um, technology in terms of our ability to collect data and process that data and our computing power, yes, this is all following Moore's law and has all has been exponentially increasing. But the research field of NLP, it, it has gone through a lot of ups and downs. And by ups, I mean when there is a lot of interest and we believe that, yes, the technology is going to solve everything and we'll have a machine that can pass Turing's test. We have had these at least five peaks in the past, and we have had valleys where there was total discouragement in the whole field. There were nobody who was even willing to research on this topic because people thought that this is a dead topic. Nobody's going to ever have computers speak in natural language. But that up and down, I think now we have been able to stabilize because now we have the right tools. Okay, thank you very much. Good good historical perspective there. I like it when my panelists debate something rather than just agreeing. Thank you. Okay, Samir, let's go back to your notes here. We've been... We haven't gotten into a discussion of brands. That's where I started out the show is uh, how do we, how do we, how do companies leverage their brands with where people are? That's where you want to be. That's the rule of law in social selling today, social networking, social media. You have to be where the people are, speaking to them the way they speak, gaining their trust, starting a conversation, building a relationship. So uh, I, I do want to get into that. Uh, you know what? Let me just open this up. We have a lot more notes here to talk about in terms of technical stuff, but j- let's just reference that. Samir, what are your thoughts on should brands be creating conversational AI bots as their customer service officers or customer service frontline to improve their reputation, to get past the OMG, do I really have to call customer service again and get rid of, get through all of that awful non-response? What's your thought about how brands can leverage it? Then we'll go back into our, our technical part of our topic. Samir? Absolutely. I, I think it's a, I think it's a phenomenal initiative for brands to take, you know, one, so, as much of a health nut I am, I do enjoy my fast food, and in particular Taco Bell. That might make some people cringe out there, but in me, I love Taco Bell. And you know, Taco Bell actually created a new integration with Slack, so they can act, they created what I like to call the Taco Bots. So you can actually order Taco Bell through Slack. Now, there are a couple hmm. of things I see here. One is Taco Bell recognized that Slack is being used more and more by folks in the workplace or in other settings to really communicate with each other. It's really the nexus of group messaging. And they created this bot now that fits seamlessly on top of Slack's platform to order Taco Bell. But the other side, which I think is really important, is they recognize that they have to move their customer engagement from just simple drive-throughs and restaurants to more digital strategy. And that's where I think they're differentiating themselves from the rest of the fast food industry in that they're showing that, hey, 
we know how to innovate. We're going to come to you on your new playing field as a consumer mm-hmm. or your new preference through your preferred channels. But we're going to find you there and we're going to be there and we're going to give you the same experience you could get by rolling in through a drive through from the comfort of your keyboard because we recognize that's where you are operating now as a consumer. So I think when it comes to conversational AI and chatbots or conversational applications in general, I think it's a chance for brands to not just reach out their consumers and increase engagement, but also differentiate themselves from what other companies are doing, especially since this is such a hot topic and a frontier area for many companies. Thank you very much. And Slack does have a Twitter handle. You knew that. Well, you didn't know that you're not on Twitter. I am. It's Slack HQ. And I'm going to tweet what you just said, Samir. That was very, very interesting. Piyush, what are your thoughts on brands leveraging bots and for customer service and making everybody a lot happier? What are your thoughts? <laughs> sure. So for sure, I believe that there is a lot of potential in this technology. It's conversational AI has benefits not just for individuals but also for organizations. And clearly there's a lot of uh, business value conversational AI can drive for organizations. But as is the case with every single technology, I think we need to be uh, more careful with, with our approach. We need to be more careful with how we want uh, to adopt this technology. Now, to give you an example, before mm-hmm. conversational AI became such a hot topic, Everybody was talking about making apps for smartphones. Every single brand you can imagine has at least one app on on iOS or Android uh, App Store. But the fact of the matter is that more than half of the apps that are ever downloaded are never used. Mm -hmm. Now, do we want to end up in a similar situation with conversational AI that every company has a plethora of chatbots, but they are never used? I don't think so. I think we, for sure, we want to help organizations adopt this technology, but at the same time, we need to make sure that the adoption is in the areas where consumers actually want it. So, yes, it's it's fancy to to be able to order a taco using a chatbot, <laughs> but we need to go deeper and figure out, is it really adding value for the end user? If it's not, then it's just going to be uh, a fancy idea that was that, that got some attention. But we don't want that. We want it to be sustainable, and we want it to stay and help businesses run better. And hence, we need to solve problems that actually matter. And and that those are the kind of uh, adoption use cases we need to look at. Thank you. Very thoughtful response. Samir, you want to answer back? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's really interesting, right? Because as Piyush mentioned, we don't want to just create a bunch of software that just doesn't end up getting used, right? That's really bad for companies when they create shelfware. But at the same time, here's where I would actually say that I think conversational AI will actually differentiate itself in this regard. So what are what are the preeminent messaging platforms? So for example, there's WeChat in China, you have Facebook Messenger in the States, you have Slack. Now, with conversational AI and just AI in general, we actually have the ability through these platforms, and I think these companies are doing a great job of it, they're actually understanding what we're talking about and then involving those particular chatbots for those applications. So, for example, on Facebook the other day, I, I, you know, I asked some friends, hey, you guys want to go grab dinner? And it already asked me if I wanted to create, if I wanted to create what's known as a plan. Similarly, I, and, I, and I see this is going to, I think this is going to happen with each of these different messaging platforms is 
they're going to start understanding what's going on in the conversation, and then they're going to start involving the particular conversational applications or chatbots or digital assistants from these different software companies so that the onus is actually not on the user to go find the chatbot, but the platform itself will actually link that chatbot to the user without the user having to make any initiative move, initiatory move outside of just simply having that conversation with their friends. So I actually think that's where the differentiator will be as to why this isn't just going to be about creating millions of chatbots that don't get used, but actually about the precision targeting and involvement of chatbots where they are actually relevant. And according to Samir, uh, Slack and Taco Bell and chatbots are very relevant because he wants that taco when he wants it. Right, Samir? Absolutely. 100%. There you go. There you go. There you go. I tweeted that. Uh, you know what? We have, let's say, about, oh, six minutes till we go to our predictions round. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think we've been talking about the future all the way along here with a, a dip into the past, courtesy of Piyush's comments. Uh, I'm going to make a statement right here to the two of you. I'm inviting you to do part two of this topic with me on our, on our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers, and I'm going to send you a separate invitation because there's way too much to cover in just one hour here on the radio. But I do want to cover something that is top of mind. Uh, we'll, we'll save some of your comments, uh, Samir and Piyush, that you sent me in your notes. We'll save those for part two. But the where I would like to go in the next few minutes is Let's talk about, uh, Piyush, this is from your notes. Media has been abuzz with headlines that declare machines are taking over the world and there will be a job apocalypse around the corner. Now, we've been talking about conversational AI. We've been talking about bots. We've been talking about automating the customer service experience and whether we want it to be a reflection of who we are and how we speak and how we think and how we feel. Okay, but... Let's talk about is this good news for people who have those jobs right now, whether they're doing a good job in that job right now or not. Is this good news or bad news that we are programming machines to do it very well, we think? Piyush, this was your topic. I'm going to let you run with this, and then we'll see what Samir has to say. Piyush? Oh, thanks, Bonnie. I think it's a, it's a very <laughs> sensitive topic, but I'll, I'll try to be <laughs> as balanced in my answer as I can be. So, to be honest, yes, as with every single technology in the past, there are jobs that get lost. There are jobs that get automated. So when we started doing uh, advanced manufacturing and robotic manufacturing, yes, there were jobs lost. And when computers came and people started taking their own notes, there were people who were used to work as uh, shorthand typers, uh, typists. They, they lost their jobs, but then they, they moved up. They they started doing other things. I'll share um, a short story with you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was growing back in India, uh, it was uh, 80s and 90s. Back then, we still had a very socialistic economy, and most of our banks were owned by government. And there were a lot of people that were employed in this uh, in this banking sector. And then what happened was that the rest of the world moved on and every, everybody started using computers in banks. And the Indian government said that, okay, let's do this as well in India. And there was a huge nationwide strike. People didn't want any computers coming to banks. They said that if computers are there, then there won't be any jobs for us. Mm-hmm. But now every single bank has computers in in India and in the rest of the world. We cannot even imagine a bank that doesn't 
operate or doesn't run on computers. But what has happened is that computers have allowed people to stop doing manual things like counting money and uh, uh, making a making a, an in, a cash flow statement, for example. These are things that computers automated so that people can actually focus on value-added services in banking like personal banking and merchant banking. And mm-hmm. people upskilled. They went up the value chain. And this is exactly the situation is today. So conversational AI and AI in general mm-hmm. is going to displace a lot of jobs. So look at autonomous cars. They're, they threaten a lot of cab drivers and truck That's drivers. Right. And, That's right. And NLP, it also threatens uh, customer service center employees and, and, and similar uh, people. But this is an opportunity, to, uh, opportunity for us as human beings to look at this uh, transformation that's happening and see, okay, so what is the next step I can go to? But the, but the responsibility is ours. The change is happening. The change will happen. Either we write this change and go to the next level or we get left behind. So, but the choice is ours. Very interesting. We've got a little philosophy here. We've got a little humanity here. We have a little bit of ethics in here, don't we, Piyush? A little bit of ethics, I think. Responsibility, yeah? Yes, yes. I mean, yes, that is the case with every technology. We have to keep yes. ethics in mind, and especially with the technologies that have the potential to be intelligent and smart. Absolutely, Bonnie. Thank you very much. And Samir, we'd love to get your thoughts on this. Samir, why don't you give us a one-minute response, and then we're going to uh, – we'll bounce over to Piyush, and we'll start the, the crystal ball predictions round with Piyush. So, Samir, what's your last word on the question of ethics and the job apocalypse due to conversational AI? I'm not, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just being a little dramatic. Go ahead. Absolutely. I think it's something that we actually have to be very cognizant of. Um, I think especially those of us who are developing these technologies, uh, you know, as we create this, we have to think about what are going to be the use cases for these and then what are going to be the impacts, both negative and positive. And I think with conversational AI in particular, as Piyush mentioned, you know, there are jobs, for example, like call center jobs that might be threatened. And so we have to really think about, you know, as we build these technologies, what plans do we have in place to help transition these folks to more upskilled jobs? Um, I think it's, it, you know, we can say that human, humans will find new jobs or they'll upskill, but it's really on us to figure out how smooth of a transition that is. And I think that, you know, as with all humanity, you know, economics, you know, environment, all, it's really a collective effort at the end of the day. And so we don't want to just leave it to other people to upskill. We want to have those plans in place. And, you know, we're at a time when communication and transparency and information technology are all there. So we have these factors now that can actually enable us to create these smooth transition plans going forward as this technology comes online. So I actually think that, uh, yes, there might be displacement, but we also have the tools to figure out how we might triage these ahead of time so that when these waves come, we are adequately prepared and that we all move together. It's not just one section of society that's moving. Very thoughtful. Thank you very much. And Piyush, I'm going to give you, oh, I can give you a whole whopping 90 seconds <laughs> for your prediction. We have been talking about the future here because we are in the future. We have a series called The Future of the Future. And as I like to say, the future just became the past because the future was after I said the word future. 
in that brief pause, that was the future after future, and now it's the past. So it's very confusing. Piyush Chandra, <laughs> love to get your 90 seconds of crystal ball predictions. Let's focus between now and 2020. Any time in that range, what do you pick, and what's your prediction? Go ahead. Cool. I think looking at our history with technology, I think human beings are, we kind of overestimate the impact in any given technology is going to have in, in the short term, and we underestimate what will happen in the long run. But I think if three to five years is pretty long term, especially considering the the rapid pace at which technology is, is evolving right now. So I would say in three to five years, a lot of things that we grew up uh, believing to be science fiction in Star Trek or Star Wars is actually going to be reality. So we will have, we already have cars that drive themselves. So they will become even more mainstream. And then we will also have people, uh, sorry, uh, uh, virtual assistants that will help us with our booking, with our uh, uh, travel expenses, and with we already have virtual assistants helping us ordering our food and tacos, but this can go to the next level. We can have uh, personal assistants who are virtual, and they are able to do uh, psychological counseling for us, for example. Or uh, This is, again, a very uh, um, uh, deserving area, which is uh, student counseling. So the graduation rate or the, num- the average number of years uh, an undergrad uh, takes in America. It's not four years, it's, it's five and a half or even six years. And mm-hmm. this is all because of lack of sufficient number of counselors who can guide these people, these students, that this is the right path for you. We can have this technology, we can deploy this technology to understand the unique circumstances of every student and be their counselor, be there 24-7. Anytime they need a counselor, the counselor is available. And for health counseling, for, for sports counseling, that the possibilities are endless. We need people in our lives. We need to talk to people. And there are so many times where we just don't have access. The future I see is that this becomes so commonplace. And this is, I think, every technology that is powerful has this inherent quality that it becomes so uh, so, so um omnipresent that we don't even mm-hmm. realize that we are actually interacting with technology. So in three to five years, I strongly believe that conversational AI is going to become so commoditized and so mainstream that we won't yeah. even realize that we are interacting with this technology. Thank you, Piyush. I have to give, we are almost out of time. I can give 45 seconds to Samir. Go ahead, Samir. Just give me a real quick, real quick prediction. It's all yours. 45 seconds, go. Sure, Piyush taking all my time, geez. Um, so, you know, I, I actually think it's going to be a phenomenally interesting future, I think, in 2020. You know, I don't think about it just as conversational AI talking to machines, but I think about things like conversational AI and augmented reality or conversational AI in the operating room or conversational mm-hmm. AI on the battlefield with our soldiers. You know, I think it's all these things together. I think it's an incredibly promising future where you no longer have to, your hands are no longer occupied. You have a digital assistant with you wherever you go. Uh, the number of occupations that can be benefited by this, I think, is a phenomenally large number. I think that the adoption time might be a little bit longer simply because 
IT systems and infrastructure and just general software architecture have to change to accommodate this. Samir, I Samir, one- I, I got to stop you. Save it for part two. I predict okay. we're going to have part <laughs> two with good. Samir and, and Piyush very, very soon. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much. Shout out to Adam Mardini at SAP and Ira Burke for helping to put this together. Gentlemen, you were wonderful. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Samir Patel, just like Piyush Chandra, and hopefully just like me. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We will see you next week on more Business Channel Game Changer shows. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.